Nothing fascinates the world like a meteoric rise, except, of course, for a spectacular fall. The story of the Silicon Valley startup Theranos and its young founder Elizabeth Holmes has both. And the coverage it's received has been huge. There's a book from the journalist who first broke the story that then broke the company. There's a podcast from ABC News, and there's an HBO documentary, and they all have a lot to say about Theranos. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're looking at three approaches to telling the same true story, so don't go away. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Gelmar, maker of CLR. For some of life's mucky moments, there's CLR. From soap scum to bicycle rust, CLR gets rid of household grime using natural ingredients, not harsh chemicals. It even carries the EPA's Safer Choice seal. Use it to dissolve calcium, lime, and rust all around your house. Go to clrbrands.com today to learn more about how to keep your piece of the planet muck-free. CLR, making the world a little cleaner. Welcome back. You just met NPR Music's Stephen Thompson, also with us. A fellow Theranos obsessive, Weekend (laughs) Edition books editor, Barry Hardiman. Hi, Barry. Hey. We were so excited to bring you in for this. Well, so because not everybody knows the story of Theranos, a little bit of setup. Theranos was a company started by Elizabeth Holmes, started it when she was 19. It was a startup that purported to be able to perform many, many blood tests on one tiny drop of blood taken from your finger. And they called that uh, machine the Edison. The technology ultimately did not turn out to work. The company fell apart. There were journalistic uh, exposés. Currently, she's facing federal charges for fraud. The uh, There were government agencies that got involved in investigating and disciplining her. And so then that brings you to these three documents, the HBO documentary, The Inventor, the podcast, uh, The Dropout, and Bad Blood, which is the book by the Wall Street Journal's John Carreyrou, who also broke the story in the journal at the beginning. And I think that probably Bad Blood to me is the definitive tome. Do you agree, Barry? I would you, agree you, with that. You've and taken it, in all of these. I have. As have I. <laughs> I have, yeah. As have I. Yeah, I was. A, um, but yes, I would. Um, well, Carreyrou broke it. There were several other reporters that were also creeping right. in on it, like right. Nick Bilton from Vanity Fair. Right. And, but he is really the one right. who like told the story. Right. Stephen, what are your thoughts about kind of this story in a in a larger sense? Where do you where do you come down on your impressions of this story as a kind of a modern tale of our times? Well, I think that's part of it. I think it's a modern tale of our times. And I think the fast one of the most interesting things about the story is how interesting everybody finds the story. Yes. If, if you look at like because <laughs> this is can be like a fairly dry Silicon Valley business story about a company's attempts to shield itself from the public finding out the true story. The word valuation appears many times. Exactly. <laughs> so so we're sitting here, you know, and I listen to a, the, the, the dropout podcast, which is like four and a half hours of, mm-hmm. of people talking about this story. You watched the two-hour HBO documentary uh, on the subject. And I found myself like, why is there no limit to the amount mm-hmm. that I can spend right. time exactly. being told this I story? I would watch three more documentaries about yeah. it. It's bizarre. Yeah. And I think that it feeds into so many of our basic human tendencies, especially in America in 2019. Mm-hmm. I think there's a sense that a lot of us look at rich people, especially billionaires in Silicon Valley, and think these are just 
frauds who were who were handed the keys to the kingdom. And if you if you look into her story, she grew up with great wealth. She found access to power. One of her first entrees into power was connecting with George Shultz, the former cabinet official. She loved those like old government dudes. Kissinger Uh, and James Mattis. Insane. So she like she got all these kind of endorsements from very very powerful high profile people who knew nothing about technology. And then kind of wended her way through the system, having kind of gotten keys to the kingdom that the rest of us don't have access to. So it feeds into like my sense of spite and resentment, which mm-hmm. is mighty. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if you're if you're sitting there just like these people are not actually smarter than I am, mm-hmm. this story kind of kind of reinforces that. I think there is a sense that for some very rich and powerful people you can advance farther than anyone else through a sheer lack of shame. Uh And that a lack of shame is an unbelievably powerful and dangerous commodity. And you watch it here, like this entrepreneur, this incredibly celebrated entrepreneur, and you see footage in in the movie and hear footage in the podcast of Elizabeth Holmes being interviewed by Bill Clinton Mm -hmm. and, you know, feted by Joe Joe Biden. Biden. Mm -hmm. The Obama administration held her up as an Mm -hmm. example of great entrepreneurial spirit. You just feel like, man, it's not just hubris. It's not just the schadenfreude of watching a hubristic person fall. It is this overarching sense sense of like, look at what happens when you peek behind the curtain of a very powerful person who has a lot of barriers around them and absolutely no sense of shame. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. I think, too, you know, I was thinking about it in terms of stories that have obsessed us in 2019 that have received multiple treatments. Uh-huh. And obviously what takes us right to Fire Festival, and <laughs> yes. which is which has a similar character, you know, at the center that of every, it. Everything is hot garbage. Like everything mm-hmm. that makes people an ungodly amount of money is right. hot garbage. Right. Or, people, or that is trying to make people... A lot of money. And you wonder, like, how many other things are hot garbage and we just never exactly. found out? <laughs> and that's the and that is the thing, I think, because because when I think about why how I devoured this, I devoured this in the same way that I devoured all the treatments of Madoff when that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at the 10 year anniversary of Madoff, when we become invested in these in these frauds, it is both the schadenfreude of somebody getting caught and also a kind of, you know, an exploration of a system that we don't really understand. Exactly. We don't really trust. And we don't really think is right if we're right. if we're if we're like at, at our soul. And then the second thing about this one, which is absolutely clear, is that I don't care if you're Henry Kissinger, George Schultz, James Mattis, or any other former cabinet member, or any number of Stanford professors and um, investors. There was something about Elizabeth Holmes's whole package, this very strange, unblinking, very pretty, certain kind of blonde, black turtleneck, the whole thing that she was selling that everybody wanted to get on board for, which in this way of like, oh, a young woman making good. And so there's this like this emptiness like that plays exactly into the trope of like what women can and cannot do. Like in the end, she's just a Matahari. It is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It is what a lot of old men hope that female genius will look like. Yes. And act like. Exactly. Um, You know, sort of like like a very beautiful Steve Jobs. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. They are not prepared for (laughs) anybody who isn't like that. They sort of were, it was very easy for them, I think, to 
believe her partly because I think she was very good at making people feel like they were her grandfather. Mm-hmm. I think she was very good at her playing... Her grandfather and not maybe the actual grandfather to the people they were grandfather to. Well, exactly. <laughs> and I think the other thing about this story, in addition to... I, I think Barry's absolutely right and Stephen's absolutely right. The sort of societal how do we feel about multi-multi-millionaire, billionaire people is one aspect. I think this gendered aspect Mm -hmm, is one thing. But I also think this story has been buoyed along by the fact that not only were they incredibly shameless, according to Carrie Rue's reporting, Mm -hmm. about the testing itself, but there is another entire layer of this story that is about the the threats and the intimidation Mm -hmm. and the isolation and the manipulation that people have concluded they were using to keep people from telling. Because when you hear this story, one of the things you think is like, how long did you think you were going to get away with this? Like, how could you really have honestly believed that if the machines that you had did not work, Mm -hmm. that you could hire a bunch of scientists and it wouldn't get out? I think that the podcast in particular, which is hosted by Rebecca Jarvis, Mm -hmm. The podcast in particular, I think, gets a, really focuses on the aspect of how they treated the scientists in the lab, uh-huh. which was that when the scientists were there, it was you must show absolute loyalty and you will not, you know, they were overruled by people who weren't scientists yep. by... They were heavily siloed. Exactly. So by Elizabeth and, Holmes's boyfriend and business partner, whose name was Sonny Balwani, you know, would participate in scaring the scientists into, you know, and then again, this is all according to the reporting, right? right? A lot of this is still in flux, but would work the scientists and threaten them to keep them from giving bad results out. But then when it all hit the fan and Elizabeth Holmes is testifying in front of the uh, SEC, She keeps saying, well, you know, I trusted the people in the lab. I'm not a, you know, I I wasn't the lab scientist. I think the podcast gets really into the kind of this sense of an insidious mistreatment of people in that way. Stephen, were there things about the documentary that you felt like you didn't get from the podcast? There's an amazing scene in the documentary where you actually have this visual of a hand reaching into one of the Edison machines and showing how blood could contaminate other blood in the machine. And the the scientists describing reaching their hand into the machine with a rubber glove, but there are needles in the machine. And so you're trying to navigate your hand into the machine that is encrusted with other people's blood. What could go wrong? What could possibly (laughs) go wrong? I had a really interesting conversation about this. I watched The Inventor, the movie, with Mm -hmm. my girlfriend, Katie Presley, Mm -hmm. who's been on the show. And we were talking afterward about Elizabeth Holmes, and I was sort of saying, like, ugh, what a monster. And she was like, you know, I actually had a weird reaction to her. There's a lot of speculation about Elizabeth Holmes that she lowers her voice artificially. Let's actually hear Elizabeth Holmes speak. More people will have access to their own health information. What do you dream for something in 2025? That less people have to say goodbye too soon to people they love. So when people talk about this story, it's one of the things that people bring up right away. She artificially lowers her voice. She wears black turtlenecks like Steve Jobs, talking about a lot of the style stuff. And Katie had a really negative reaction to that conversation. Mm -hmm. She was talking about a book she had read called Chaos Monkeys that is about kind of the underbelly of Silicon Valley and the way Silicon Valley investors and entrepreneurs behave. And her 
take on this Theranos story is just Silicon Valley is rotten to its core. Her take was that Elizabeth Holmes didn't do anything Mm -hmm. that many dozens of Mm -hmm. other people, many of whom are billionaires, would have done in the same situation and probably are doing. I think wearing hoodies. It's my thing. I think that's very (laughs) possible. But I also think two things can be true. Right. (laughs) I don't care much if she lowers her voice artificially Mm -hmm. or not. If she does... That's one of the few things that she that is, is that she's alleged to have done that, that I, I say, feel, yeah. that makes sense. I feel some sympathy for that. And certainly the stylistic evoking of Steve Jobs, that part of it, I agree, is very easy to understand because there is such myth-making around these guys. Yeah. She ultimately adopted, it wasn't just that it was a, a black turtleneck like Steve Jobs. It was a uniform. It was the same thing every day like him, but also like Mark Zuckerberg and like a lot of these people are sort of reputed to do. And it's presented as this kind of like life hack for people who just have so much going on that they just couldn't possibly take time to put clothes on that are different (laughs) every day. And so there is such myth making that I wouldn't blame her at all for that part of it. I think the problem is and one of the interesting comments that I read about this and I wish that I remembered it was on Twitter. It went by on Twitter and I wish I remembered who said it. But was that if she had been willing to just make kind of modest advances, she might have really been a very successful person. But she was only interested and insisted upon something that would make her the Steve Jobs of biotech. The Thomas Edison of... And it was... She could not accept anything other than that. And that's why... The portrait of her that you get in these various treatments, and I think that's true in all of them. I think the HBO one is a little bit more, presents it a little bit more like she just got wildly carried away, Mm -hmm. as opposed to I think the book and the podcast Mm -hmm. tell more of a story of her being actively dishonest. Because I saw the documentary, the HBO documentary first, and then I read the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I read the book, by the way, I listened to the audio book, which is excellent. When I read the book... I was sort of like, oh, like I had not really understood She's how much. She's not just a zealot for, Exa- exactly. for, for good blood. And who <laughs> sort of like couldn't really, yeah. you know, couldn't accept yeah. that things weren't working and just got way ahead of herself and all that. The kind of rank dishonesty that Carrie Rue is reporting in the book, I don't think quite comes out in the documentary. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think the podcast or the documentary really necessarily pull back to mm-hmm. indict a larger system. No, they'll, they'll, I think that's true. They'll show you a bunch of people mm-hmm. who are entrenched in various mm-hmm. systems who are involved in this in one way mm-hmm. or another. But it's not necessarily saying, like, we need to be looking at Silicon Valley, the bubbles that Silicon Valley are, is creating, the ways that it is possible for rich and shameless people to exploit systems, the way that bad faith actors can whether it's Bernie Madoff or Elizabeth Holmes or any number of people we don't know about yet or people Mm -hmm. in government, looking at larger systems that allow those people to run roughshod over everyone else. Right. And I'll I'll give you an example, too, which is that somebody somebody, uh, on Twitter pointed out to me that of all the investors that she had, what you don't find is very many people who were deeply versed in science. (laughs) You find a lot of people who were VCs of other kinds. Or Robert Kraft, Betsy DeVos. Right. right. (laughs) Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. Um, 
And what she said was people in science understood the science that you would need to actually think that this worked. Whereas what you heard from a lot of people, the Walgreens guy, some of the Uh other investors, what you would hear was, I saw it myself. She took my blood and did a test on me there in the room so I knew it worked. And of course, those tests were, the results were sometimes, you know, fudged or falsified or whatever, according to the book and the podcast. And I want to get into, if you only have time for one of these things, which should you pick? I would say the book. I think it has the most information. I think it's the most cohesive. But I would also say the podcast is wonderful to get to then hear some of those voices. I think hearing Tyler Schultz talk hearing Sonny Balwani talk. Mm-hmm. And it's there's tape from a bunch Especially of their depositions, depositions and things like that. The depositions are, are great tape. Oh, my God, riveting. Great tape. Yeah. yeah. And then the documentary, to me, is kind of the condensed. So here's the thing about that. There's a huge power in her image mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in the way that image was used. And so looking at it for mm-hmm. as long as you do in the documentary is a pretty interesting accessory. Yeah. I, I'm, oh, man, we're going to come in saying you have to watch oh, it. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, think, I think it is clear to me that the least the quality of that is less in almost every way than both the book and the podcast. However, it is a great accessory because it does give you this the sense of what of what we're talking about when we talk about mm-hmm. her image. And, mm-hmm. and then you marry that image with the startling voice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the fact then, that she doesn't blink. Not to mention. And then you compare it to, for instance, because there's a lot of great faces in that. Yeah. Um, then I will also say, if you are a student of of Spotlight and the great journalistic caper, right. when Carrie Rue knows in the book that he's got it, uh-huh. <laughs> it is like, it's like it gives you that real like, well, let's put on a show yeah. kind of feeling. You're in like some Ben Affleck getting the hostages out ter- territory. And that is really, really fun. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I like I can't recommend one over the other. I right. think they all have. I, what I would do is I would just be like, well. Now I got a long walk, so let me put on this podcast. Yeah. I got a big commute. I'm sitting down. I'm going to exactly. look at this book. My husband's out of town, and I got an hour and a half. I'm going to watch this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think start with the start with the documentary because, for one thing, you, you will forever be able to put faces with right. voices totally. and then faces with text. Mm-hmm. Just being able to see each one of these people and and kind of what animates them. The the documentary also has a couple of things that the others don't. It not only can visually represent mm-hmm. what, what they're talking about, but you also have this fascinating interview footage with this behaviorist who talks oh, a God. little bit Dan Ariely <laughs> who also met her right yeah. and who talks a little bit has He's this fascinating, fascinating anecdote about why people lie when they think it's for a good cause mm-hmm. and that's so interesting and it mm-hmm. does give you a sense I don't necessarily love seeing these people psychoanalyzed you know like armchair armchair analysis of what makes a person tick doesn't usually interest me but it does give you a sense of what builds this myth up Mm -hmm. to where people become very credulous Mm -hmm. and it gives you a lot like that's a good piece of what Dan Ariely is so great at is giving you the little piece of information that makes that like gets you back to the thing that you did and you're like Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, did I? Was that? Yep. Oh, I think uh, I think we recommend all of these treatments <laughs> in the end. And as you can tell. And there's we, more to come. Uh, there yes, there is. There's a Hulu series coming where Kate McKinnon is going to play her. There's also an Adam McKay film coming up. Jennifer Lawrence. So look, there's a lot. We liked all of this. As you can tell, we could talk about this all day, but we can't. Uh, let us know what you think about Bad Blood and The Inventor and The Dropout, which is the name of the podcast. 
Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. You can follow our friend Barry at B Hardyman. Thanks to you guys for being here. Thank you. Thanks. And of course, thank you for listening. If you have a second and you're so inclined, do subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. We will see you all right back here on Friday. If you love this show, then check out Life Kit, tools to help you get it together. Think of it as that friend who always has great advice on everything from how to invest to how to get a great workout. Subscribe to Life Kit All Guides to get episodes on every topic all in one place. Find it in Apple Podcasts or at npr.org slash lifekit.